Most lovers' quarrels end with an apology, but for Catherine Knight, murder and mutilation were the end result. Not only did this Australian abattoir worker stab her lover with a butcher knife at least 37 times in February 2000, she then skinned him, chopped him up, cooked him, and prepared to serve him to his own children. Even before this grisly killing, the life of Catherine Mary Knight was marked with violence and sexual abuse that only hinted at the bloodshed to come. This is the case of Catherine Knight, Australia's Hannibal Lecter. Well, hello, my fellow weirdos. How is everybody? I hope everyone is fan-bloody-tastic. So, before we jump into today's episode, I have news. So, tomorrow, I will be appearing on the amazing podcast, Did Not Need to Know, and I'll be doing an episode with Jenna and Danielle, the lovely hosts of the amazing podcast, and I am so stoked. I'm buzzing. I had an absolute blast recording with Jana and Danielle for the episode they appeared on um, for my show. So I can't wait to to hear what they have in store for me. It's very hush-hush. They haven't told me what the episode is going to be about. So I'm going in completely blind, which I think is the best way to do it. Like, I've, I've you know, I'm going to have no prior knowledge. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting and i can't wait to hear what they have in store speaking of jenna and danielle and their amazing podcasts if you haven't had a listen to did not need to know please go and listen to did not need to know jenna and danielle are amazing hosts and they have an amazing podcast it's everywhere it's on spotify it's on apple podcasts good pods you know your your podcast app of choice you will find their podcast so go and listen to them go and live, give them some love they are amazing and they've recently launched a merch store so please go and check out their merch store they've got some really nice stuff i'm definitely definitely going to get me a mug very soon another podcast that i want to give some love to is something sinister I've talked about them before. Uh, Cadence and Alexa are just amazing, amazing hosts. They have an amazing show. Uh, We exchange messages regularly and we have plans to work together for a collab. Um, We're just trying to finalize dates where all three of us are free. And obviously me being in the UK and and those, those guys being in the US, you know, we have to sort of work around the time differences and stuff, but it's in it's it's gonna happen. We're just trying to find a time where it works for everybody. So definitely give Cadence and Alexa a listen. Check them out. They're an amazing podcast and they're amazing hosts, and give them some love. Also, they have a merch store too, and I can personally attest I have a sweatshirt from their merch store, and it is Chef's Kiss. So go and check out their merch store and go and support them. You know, 
it's it's a way that you can support independent podcasters like myself, like you know uh, Jenna and Danielle, like Cadence and Alexa, and it allows us to do you know what we what we what we do. So check them out, give them some love, both the podcasts, and rate and review them both five stars because they deserve all the stars. So now to the matter at hand. This week's episode, Catherine Knight, Australia's Hannibal Lecter, and it is fucking insane. So buckle up, buckaroos, because this is going to get wild. Before we start, a trigger warning for a few things. Um, There will be references to rape. There will be references to the killing of animals, cannibalism, um, mutilation, just, just fucked up pretty disgusting stuff in general. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road, shall we? So Barbara Rohan, a native of Aberdeen in New South Wales's Hunter Valley, was compelled to relocate to Moore after initiating a relationship with Ken Knight, a co-worker of her husband, Jack um, Rohan. In the conservative rural town, the Rohan and Knight families were both well-known and the affair was a great scandal. Rohan's two oldest children remained with him, while the two youngest were sent to live with an aunt in Sydney. Catherine Knight was the younger of twins, born on October the 24th, 1955, in Tenterfield, New South Wales, to Barbara and her de facto partner, Ken. When Jack Rohan passed away in 1959, his two two children moved in, with the Knight family. Barbara's grandmother was an indigenous Australian from Moore who married an Irishman. She was proud of this fact and considered her own family to be Aboriginal. Because of this, there was, or because there was a lot of racism in the neighbourhood at the time, it was a source of anxiety for the kids and this was kept a very close family secret. Knight's father, Ken, was an alcoholic who raped her mother up to 10 times a day using violence and intimidation. Barbara, on the other hand, frequently revealed intimate details about her sex life to her kids, as well as how much she despised sex and men. Yeah, uh, Ken Knight sounds like a fucking pillar of the community, doesn't he? Knight later complained to her mother about one of her partners forcing her to participate in a sex act she didn't want to do, And Barbara advised her to, quote, put up with it and stop complaining. Knight claims she was sexually molested by numerous members of her family until she was 11 years old, uh, albeit not by her father. Psychiatrists believe her account, despite slight reservations about the details, because all of her family members agreed the abuse occurred. Catherine was described as a nice young lady who had uncontrollable deadly rages in response to minor annoyances. She became a loner at Muswell Brook High School and was regarded by students as a bully who stood over younger children. She used a weapon to assault at least one boy at school and was hurt by one teacher who acted in self-defence. When she wasn't enraged, on the other hand, Knight was a model student who frequently received accolades for her exemplary behaviour. 
Knight would get a job as a cutter in a clothes industry, uh, in the clothes industry after quitting school at uh, 15 without knowing how to read or write. She departed 12 months later to begin her dream job, which was chopping up uh, offal at the local abattoir, where she was rapidly promoted to boning and... <laughs> <laughs> oh Dom. And given her own set of butcher knives. I'm I'm a genuine child. I make no apologies, but I'm a genuine child. She put knives over her bed at home so that they would always be ready if I needed them. A habit she carried to in, carried with her until her incarceration. In nineteen seventy-three, Knight met co-worker David Stanford Kellett for the first time. Kellett drank heavily after two traumatic incidents at his previous railway job in Coffs Harbour. First, when his best friend was killed in front of him in a shunting accident, and later when he rescued injured occupants of a school bus that had been struck by a train which killed six children. He would lose his job as a result of his poor behaviour and performance, but he quickly found work at the nearby Aberdeen, Aberdeen Abattoir and became great friends with Knight's brother. If Kellett got into a fight, Knight would often intervene and defend him with her fists. She was well known in Aberdeen for physically threatening anyone who angered her. Knight married Kellett in 1974 at Knight's request, with Kellett and a drunk-as-fuck Knight arriving to the service on her Harley Davidson. What an entrance. My word. Soon after Kellett and Catherine arrived, Knight's mum, Barbara, gave Kellett some advice, with Kellett stating, the old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you are fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. End quote. When the mother of your wife, pretty much the moment you arrive at your wedding, tells you that your wife will kill you if you say or do the wrong thing, that, my friends, is when you should think, maybe this isn't a super awesome idea. And to further compound this, Knight attempted to strangle Killer on their wedding night. She subsequently explained that the reason she tried to uh, strangle her husband on, on their wedding night was because he had fallen asleep after having on- having sex only three times that evening. Yes, she she straight up was going to kill her husband because he only could go three rounds. My man legit nearly died because he tapped out after three rounds. Like, fuck it, Alcath. Chill the fuck out, love. You could have just let the man snooze and then you could have gone for another three. You know, not just jump straight to strangling the poor man. Good grief, woman. The marriage was particularly violent, and on one occasion, a very pregnant knight set fire to all of Killett's clothes and shoes before slamming him across the back of the head with a frying pan, all because he had gotten home late from a darts tournament after making the finals. That was the reason, because he came home late from a darts tournament because he got to the finals. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> oh, this woman, this woman, 
Uh, Keller fled in fear of his life before collapsing in a neighbour's home where he was treated for a fractured skull from a frying pan. So either that was a heavy frying pan or Kathy just swang for the fences. Like she wound back and she swang with that frying pan. Knight was now on her best behaviour and persuaded Colette to dismiss the allegations. Keller left left Knight for another woman in May 1976, shortly after the birth of their first child, Melissa Ann, and went to Queensland, seemingly unable to cope with uh, Knight's possessive violent conduct. Knight was observed the next day wheeling her new kid in a pram along the main street, forcefully flinging it from side to side. Now, leaving your wife not long after she pushes out your daughter, I mean, admittedly, admittedly, bit of a low blow. That's a bit of a dick move. That's a bit of a bit of a dick move. But also, that being said, flinging your newborn baby from side to side in her pram as you walk down the street, and also fracturing your fella's skull with a frying pan because he was out playing darts and didn't come back when he's and came back later than he said he would isn't exactly i mean that's not exactly you know she's not covering herself in glory with that so i mean you know leaving leaving your missus after she after she pushes out your kid yeah that's 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 shit that's not good that's not cool bit of a low blow but also putting your newborn child in danger and fracturing your your man's skull with a frying pan just because he got to a darts final is i mean yeah i don't think i need to say anything more knight was admitted to saint elmo's hospital in tamworth where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression and spent several weeks recovering after being released Mother of the Year, Catherine Knight, placed two-month-old Melissa on a railway line shortly before a train was due, then stole an axe, went into town, and threatened to kill several people. Melissa was discovered and rescued only minutes before a train passed by, um, by a man known in the area as Old Ted, who was scavenging, scavenging near the railway line. Knight was arrested and then sent back to St. Elmo's Hospital, but she appeared to have recovered and signed herself out the very next day. Knight would slice a woman's face with one of her knives a few days later, demanding that she drive her to Queensland to get Kellett. After stopping at a service station, the woman managed to flee, but by the time the police came, Knight had kidnapped a young boy and was threatening him with a knife. Police were able to disarm her by beating her with brooms and she was taken to the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Knight would inform nurses that she planned to kill the service station worker since he had repaired Kellett's car, allowing him to go, and then kill both Kellett and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. When the police told Kellett of the incident, he left his girlfriend, travelled back to Aberdeen with his mother to to go back to to Catherine. I mean, I don't I don't know what's more insane. The fact that she was going to kill the service station worker for fixing Kellett's car and then go and kill him and his mum or that he willingly went back to her. My dude, she fractured your skull with a pan because of a darts competition, man. 
you know, if you want to, if you want to help her, fair enough, get her help. But don't go back to her. I know that sounds really, really fucking harsh. She's obviously not well, but you can help her without resuming the relationship, man. Uh, I just, uh, Knight was released into the care of her mother-in-law on August the 9th, 1976, and she and Kellett went to Woodbridge, a Brisbane suburb, where she got a job at the Dinmore Meatworks in the neighbouring Ipswich. Natasha Marie, their second daughter, was born on March the 6th, 1980. Just what the relationship needed, another child. So it is that time in the episode. It is promo time. And this week, it is courtesy of the lovely hosts of the amazing podcast, Twisted and Uncaught, Sierra and Alicia. Take it away, ladies. Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cults, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. We're bringing the most intense stories that'll keep you up at night. He was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter and felonious assault, but he was only sentenced to five months of probation. And this would be the last time that anyone ever saw him. There are allegedly two women who also drowned in a first-class pool. Was this the same glowing green that they'd seen in the darkness the night before? He had refused to sit near the wagon cloth because of stains on it, which were most likely blood. Join us every Tuesday for a glass of wine or sangria and a dose of true crime. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and and Uncorked. In 1984, Knight left Kellett and moved in, first with her parents in Aberdeen, then to a rented house in nearby Molswellbrook. Although she returned to work at the abattoir, she injured her back the following year and went on a disability pension. No longer needing to rent accommodation close to her work, the government gave her, ha- gave her a housing commission house in Aberdeen. In 1986, Knight would meet David Saunders, a uh, 38-year-old miner. He moved in with her and her two daughters a few months later, although he kept his old apartment in Scone. You know, just in case, which is probably wise, considering Catherine Knight's track record, just saying. Knight would become envious of what he did while she wasn't around, and she would frequently throw him out. During these times where Catherine would throw him out, he'd return to his apartment in Scone and she'd invariably trail him and urge him to return. Uh, trigger warning, by the way, for this for this bit, um, especially if you're an animal lover. She slashed the throat of his two-month-old dingo puppy in front of him in May 1987 for no other reason than to show him what would happen if he had ever... If he ever if he ever had an affair before knocking him out with a frying pan, so one was was a frying pan this bitch's weapon of choice or something like that's two people that she's clattered with a frying pan. Somebody take these goddamn frying pans away from this woman. And two, and the more important point, why the fuck did the puppy deserve to die? Why like why? You know, and she did it to prove a point, but do you really have to prove that point by slashing the neck 
of a of a dingo puppy in front of its owner for no other reason than to show what would happen if he ever had an affair. That is that is fucking insane. I'm sorry. Any sympathy that I had for Catherine Knight has just completely gone out the window. This bitch can can get fucked by cactus. <laughs> Her and Randy Kraft can both get fucked by cactuses. She gave birth to her third daughter, Sarah, in June 1988, prompting Saunders to put down a deposit on a property, which Knight paid off with her workers' compensation check. Knight used animal skins, skulls, horns, rusted animal traps, leather coats, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks to decorate the house. There was no unused space, including the ceilings. You know, she just, she made it super homely because why would you not put animal skins, rusted animal traps, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks in your house as decoration? Why would you not do that? How is that not homely? If you're saying, if if anyone says it's not homely, quite frankly, you're just lying. (laughs) Man, I kind of, I kind of actually want to see that house. I'm totally honest. I would have loved to have seen the interior of that house. I bet you it was fucking insane. After an argument where she hit Saunders in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors, I just wanted to emphasise that. She hit him in the face with an iron and then stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of fucking scissors. He moved back to Scone. But when he later returned to uh, the house that him and Knight uh, shared, he would find that she had cut up, cut up all of his clothes. So she's moved on from frying pans. So someone has, you know, someone's been like, yeah, maybe we should take frying pans away from this woman. So she's moved on from that. She's graduated from hitting people in the back of the head with, with frying pans to smashing people in the face with fucking irons and stabbing people with scissors. Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> Saunders would go into hiding after taking a long service leave. Knight attempted to locate him, but no one claimed to be aware of his whereabouts. When he returned to see his daughter some months later, he discovered that Knight had gone to the police and told him and told them that she feared Saunders, which resulted in Saunders getting a apprehended violence order issued against him. <sighs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I mean, I for all I know, Saunders may have been violent and she may have feared him. I don't know, but I I I struggle to really believe any any anything that that Kathy Knight says. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, Knight would fall pregnant in 1990 um, by John Chillingworth, a 43 year old. Uh, abattoir worker and gave birth to a boy called Eric the following year. Their relationship would last three years before she would um, move on from uh, John Chillingworth and start dating John Price, a man with whom she had actually been having an affair with for quite some time. So remember when she cut a dog's throat to show, or not just a dog, remember when she cut the throat of David Saunders' dog in front of him as a point to show what would happen if he had an affair? I I remember. I remember. (laughs) When Knight had an affair with John Pricey, Price, Pricey Price, 
He was the father of three children. His own marriage had ended in 1988 and he was described as a terrific bloke by everybody who knew him. The two older children resided with him, but his two-year-old daughter remained with his former wife. Price was well aware of Knight's violent reputation and she moved into his house in 1995. His children liked her and he was making a lot of money in the local mines and apart from violent arguments, at first, life was a bunch of roses. See, Pricey is all about those those crazy-ass women. Pricey is all about those, I could wake up to breakfast in bed, or I could wake up to a knife at my throat kind of woman. It's, you just, you never know. <laughs> Especially with Kathy, you could, genuinely, with Catherine Knight, you could wake up to breakfast in bed, or... You could wake up to a horse's head in your bed. You, you just don't know. You just don't know. It's, it's like Wheel of Fortune every single day. Knight videotaped items that he had stolen from work and submitted the footage to his boss after they had a disagreement in 1980, uh, 1998 over Price's refusal to marry her. You know, because that is a perfectly reasonable response. Even though the products were out-of-date medical supplies he had scavenged from the company's trash bin, Price was fired from his 17-year position. Good good job, Hurricane Catherine. It's just fucking Hurricane Catherine. Just, just rolling into town and in, in just wrecking shit. Wrecking shit up. He kicked her out the same day and she returned to her own home as word of her deeds went across the town. Price would rekindle the relationship a few months later, but he refused to let her move in with him. Fighting would become even more common, and most of his friends refused to associate with him as long as they were together. And now we come to the main course. Maybe a, maybe an ill choice of words, actually, just considering what happened to Price, but I stand by it. It is time for the main course. This is why Catherine got the moniker Australia's Hannibal Lecter. And disclaimer, it's not pretty. And to be quite honest, if you don't have a strong stomach, then I mean, one, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. But if you don't have a strong stomach, I'd maybe skip this bit. A series of assaults on Price resulted in Knight stabbing Price in the chest in February 2000. By this point, he had had enough and ejected her from his home. On his way to work on February the 29th, he stopped at the Scone Magistrates Court and obtained a restraining order to keep her away from him and his children. Price would also tell his co-workers that if he didn't show up for work the next day, it was because Knight had murdered him. It's unfortunate that she wasn't ejected from the home via a cannon or some massive slingshot. But, you know, you can't win a ball, I suppose. He then went to bed at 11pm after spending the evening with his neighbours. Knight had purchased new black lingerie earlier that day and had videotaped all of her children while making vulgar comments that have since been regarded as some sort of will. Knight arrived at Price's place while he was sleeping and sat for a few minutes, bef- um, and sat for a few minutes watching TV before showering. Price was then awakened and they would have sex after which Price would fall asleep. See, that's why that's why he got stabbed 37 times. He fell asleep after one round. You can't be doing that with Catherine Knight. Can't be doing that. 
The next morning at 6am, a neighbour got concerned that Price's car was still parked in the driveway. And when Price failed to show up for work, his employer dispatched a worker to investigate. Both the neighbour and the worker tried pounding on Price's bedroom window to wake him up. But after finding blood on the front door, they alerted police who arrived at 8am. Knight was found comatose after taking a large number of pills when police broke down the back door. Price had been stabbed with a butcher's knife while he stepped while he slept. He awoke and attempted to turn on the light before attempting to flee, according to the blood evidence. He tried to open the front door and get outside while Knight chased him through the house, but either tripped back inside or was dragged back into the hallway, where he died after bleeding out. Knight would then go into Aberdeen and take 1000 Australian dollars out of Price's ATM account. If this bit coming puts you off your food, I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But seriously, though, this is next level fucked. Here we go. Price had been stabbed at least 37 times in the front and rear of his body, with many of the wounds reaching into vital organs, according to his autopsy. Knight then skinned Price and hung the skin from a meat hook on the uh, ar- architrave? architrave of a lounge room door some hours after he died. She would then decapitate the man and cook parts of his body, serving up the meat with baked potato, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash and gravy in two settings at the dinner table, along with notes behind, uh, beside each plate each having the name of one of Price's children on it children on it because she was preparing to serve his body to his children just to reiterate she was going to serve chunks of her chunks of their dad to his fucking children what the fuck <laughs> what the fuck man for unknown reasons a third meal was thrown out on the back lawn And it is assumed Knight attempted to eat it, but was unable to. And this has been used to support her claim that she has no memory of the crime. The head of Price was discovered in a pot of vegetables. The pot was still warm with a temperature of 40 to 50 degrees Celsius, indicating that it had been cooked early in the morning. Sometime later, Knight arranged the body with the left arm draped over an empty 1.25 litre soft drink bottle with the legs crossed. This was claimed in court to be an act of defilement demonstrating Knight's contempt for Price. Knight had left a handwritten note on top of a photograph of Price. Bloodstained and covered with small pieces of flesh, the note would read, Time got you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You to Beck, Price's daughter, for Ross, for Little John, Price's son. Now play with Little John's dick, John Price. The accusations that were in the note were found to be groundless. Holy fucking shitballs. <laughs> that, was, that was wild. Oh. And that is how she got the name Australia's Hannibal Lecter. Good God. Knight's original offer to plead guilty to manslaughter was turned down and she was arraigned on the charge of murdering Price on February the 2nd, 2001, to which she entered a not guilty plea. Her trial was scheduled for July the 23rd, 2001, 
but was postponed owing to her attorney's illness and was rescheduled for October the 15th, 2001. When the trial began, Justice Barry O'Keefe offered the 60 potential jury members the option of being excused owing to the photographic evidence's nature, which five accepted. When the jury was empanelled, numerous additional witnesses dropped out after the witness list was read to them. Knight's lawyers would then uh, consult with the judge, who postponed the hearing until the next day. The following morning, Knight amended her plea to guilty, and the jury was dismissed. The fact that Justice O'Keefe had been informed of the plea modification the day before has now been made public. He had deferred the trial and then ordered a mental assignment overnight to see if Knight understood the repercussions of a a guilty plea and was fit to make such a plea. Knight's legal team planned to defend her by claiming amnesia and dissociation, which is a position supported by most doctors, despite the fact that they believe that Catherine Knight is sane. Knight never gave a reason for her guilty plea, and despite it, she still refused to accept responsibility for her actions. Knight's counsel requested that Knight be excused from hearing some of the facts during the sentence hearing, but the motion was denied. When Dr Timothy Lyons took the stand and described the skinning and decapitation, Knight would get hysterical and would have to be sedated. On November the 8th, Justice O'Keefe noted that the nature of the crime and Knight's lack of remorse demanded a harsh punishment. He sentenced her to life in prison, refused to set a non-parole period and ordered that her papers be marked with never to be released, which marked the first time in Australian history that this had been imposed on a woman. Knight would file an appeal in June 2006, alleging that a life sentence without without the possibility of release was excessively harsh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Too harsh. A life sentence without parole is too fucking harsh. Are you Are you fucking serious? You stabbed your husband 37 times, at least, skinned him, cooked him, and then was about to feed him to his fucking kids. Too fucking harsh, this bitch said. Oh, that's mind-blowing. It's genuinely mind-blowing. Justices Peter McClellan, Michael Adams and Megan Latham dismissed the appeal in the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal in September, with Justice McClellan writing in his judgment, this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilised society. And that is the tale of Cathy Knight, a perfectly reasonable woman who is absolute wifey material, I think you'll agree. This woman is a catch, guys. You know, just snap her up before before someone else does. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. It was, oh, it was an absolute madness. Absolute madness. I actually had quite a bit of fun researching this in a really morbid, morbid way. So with regards to next week, bad news. As assignment season is well and truly here and dissertations and final projects are upon me, there won't be another episode for at least a few weeks. As much as I don't want that to be the case, between uni and the podcast, something needs to give for a little while and I'm afraid it's got to be the podcast because it can't be my uni work. But I'll still be active on socials and... By all means, listen to older episodes to tide you over until I can release new episodes. Also, uh, as said, 
in the intro i will be guest appearing on the amazing podcast did not need to know um tomorrow so when that episode drops i'll let you know and go and give it a listen in the meantime follow horror house on instagram and twitter at at um horror house underscore pod and like the facebook page at horror house pod don't forget to check out the merch store and treat yourself to some goodies and don't forget to rate and review if you enjoy what i do at horror house so all that's left to say is until next time stay spooky